Thank you, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the Gideon ministry, how it gets the word out to so many because so many come just opening a Bible and reading the word of God. Thank you for the instruction it gives us. Thank you for the life it brings to us. Thank you for the way it, it surgically works on our hearts to separate soul from spirit and how it reveals your nature to us. So Lord, as we conclude this chapter in Joshua, I pray you'd open our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to see and understand what you have for us personally, each of us, and for us as a church. I thank you for each guest that's here this morning. I pray you'd speak to their hearts as well, Lord, that they'd have something to take back home after they leave from their vacation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'll be reading all of Joshua 24. If you're up for standing that whole time, please stand with me in honor of God's word. Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived in beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor that served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham beyond, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out, and then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities you had not built, and you dwell in them, and you eat the fruit of vine vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us out, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who, do, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that has, he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent people away every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnasserah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel bought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gebeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So we have come to the conclusion of Joshua, which includes Joshua's farewell challenge and his death. We've seen the faithfulness of God to keep his promises, and we've also seen his justice upon hardened hearts, both of the pagans and the people within the nation of Israel. And they're about to receive this final warning, which is applicable to us as well. Verses 1 through 2 again, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Joshua again gathered the leaders, if you were here last time, 
this same thing happened in the previous chapter. He wants the leaders to go on, continue his work, keep the people faithful to follow the Lord and stay faithful to his, the covenant. So he's gathered them again at Shechem. And this is significant because Shechem is the place where God first promised to Abraham the land of Israel. So now they've, they've obtained the land. Joshua has helped them conquer the land through the help of God. And now he's about to pass. And so he's saying, he's kind of bringing things a full circle. 400 years before, God promised it to Abraham. Now we've come all the way around to the conquest of the land and Joshua is about to pass. And notice that they come together not before Joshua, but before God, the passage says. And that's what we do each time we gather. God forbid that you come here before Paul. <laughs> we come here before the Lord, amen? We come expecting to hear God speak through his word. I think we could call this the second farewell address. He began the speech with this prophetic introduction, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, which tells us that this is prophecy. Was God speaking to Joshua? Or was Joshua just referring to scripture? In either case, he could say, thus says the Lord, because this is recounting the things that Moses received from the Lord. A preacher faithfully summarizing the clear message from God's word can say, thus says the Lord, because God speaks through his word. Amen? The first words from the Lord were to remind them of their origin. Their patriarch, Abraham, was called out of paganism in Ur. Joshua began there because the theme of the message is to stay faithful to God and avoid to shun going into idolatry of the nations around them. And if you're here today, at some time in your life, God probably called you out of idolatry as well. Anybody remember that? And whether the idolatry was self and just please me and do my thing, or whether it was idolizing uh, drugs, or whether it was idolizing relationships or money or whatever it was, God called you out and said, you belong to me. Not that thing, not that stuff, not that person, not yourself. I purchased you with my own blood. Verse three, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. The physical children of Abraham were Ishmael, Isaac, and the children of Keturah. But Isaac was the son of promise. He was different from the others. When God says he made Abraham's offspring many, we learn from the apostle Paul that God is speaking of those with the faith of Abraham Faith to leave the idolatry of their culture or their clan and follow God wherever he leads. Um, sometimes uh, if, you're, if you uh, grew up in the church or if you're a, a youngster and you've been to Sunday school, you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, amen? 
right? For left foot. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a, what a good song to remind us that children of Abraham are not just people who descended from Abraham physically, but the people of faith. We enter into those promises that were, we're heirs of the promises given to Abraham. Paul explains that in Romans 4 and 5. Um, Abraham is the father of the people of faith. God gave Abraham Isaac. It wasn't a natural birth like the other children. Sarah was well beyond the childbearing years. She was 90. It was a supernatural birth that was a gift from God. And without that gift, there would never have been Israel. God is emphasizing that their miraculous origin was his plan for them, and it was all by grace. God's just as involved in each of our lives. Verse 4, and so Isaac gave Jacob and Esau. So to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Jacob and Esau, the two brothers, went their separate ways. Esau is the father of the Edomites, and Israel had already encountered the Edomites on their journey through the wilderness. Later on, an Edomite, Herod the Great, would rule over them. Um, but Jacob's family, uh, led by Joseph, went down into Egypt and was in bondage there for 400 years. And though subjugated, they became a mighty nation. Verse 5, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. So then, after the 400 years, which was predicted, actually God told Abraham that's how long they would be there, God sent Moses and Aaron to deliver the people. They knew the story well because some of them had experienced part of it. They came out of Egypt when they were little children. And surely those who were born in the wilderness heard the stories from their parents. So they knew these stories. And God plagued Egypt, in showing that the gods of Egypt were no gods at all, that they were nothing compared to him. In fact, he turned their gods, the gods of Egypt, into plagues. The Nile was worshipped, so the Nile became blood. Each plague dealt with something that they worshipped. And that was a not-so-subtle sign that what they worshipped wasn't a blessing to them. It was a curse. The God of Israel showed he was superior to all the gods of Egypt, though Egypt had secular power and exploited the Hebrews. And maybe that was a message to them as well, because later in Israel's future, they would be conquered by other nations, even when Jesus came. They were under the rule of Rome. But that doesn't mean the God of Israel isn't greater. What it does mean is Israel's not being faithful to follow the Lord their God. The new covenant does not promise that we will rule or even that we will be free from being oppressed. It does not promise prosperity as physical in the physical realm, as some proclaim. Most of the first Christ Christians in the first century were slaves. Many slaves in America were believers and sang spiritual songs as they labored. The hope of the new covenant is not in conditions of this life, 
but in eternal life that we experience in Jesus. Amen? This world is passing. Abraham was seeking a city whose builder and maker is God, an eternal city. The old covenant promises of, of protection and prosperity were a physical picture of the spiritual promises that are ours in Jesus and which see us through the physical conditions of our short lives. Verse 6 and 7. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. The miraculous salvation of God in the nation's past would give them hope for future conflicts, that God and one is a majority, that you cannot fight God. What has God done in your past? How should that affect the way you see future conflicts and trials? That's a good reason for us to keep a journal because we so easily forget how we came to a situation in our life and we thought, man, this is impossible. I don't know. There's, there's no way I'm going to get through this. And we went to the Lord, and somehow he brought us through. Amen? And then the next time we come to that situation, we go through it all over again in our head. How am I going to get through this one? Oh, my gosh, this is worse than ever. And he brings us through it, right? And then it comes again. That's life. That's living in this fallen world. But we should learn from the past how God is faithful to bring us through if we look to him. Verse, the last half of verse 7, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Did you notice that the reason for them living in the wilderness a long time was left out here? All their murmurings not even mentioned? There's no mention of compromise and idol worship at Baal Peor or the revolt at Mount Sinai with the golden calf or Korah's rebellion? That's grace. The older generation had died. The younger generation was being faithful, so the sins of their fathers were not brought up. And surely they were aware of what happened and probably witnessed most of their parents' failures. Verses 8 through 10. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. So there were more victories because of the Lord being for them. Even the spiritual warfare taking place through that prophet, Bala, we say Balaam, it's Balaam. Even that spiritual warfare, God turned into victories. Balak hired him to prophesy against Israel. And when he, when he went, he said, I can only do what God tells me. He looks over the nation of Israel and he utters a blessing after blessing. He takes them to a new place and says, try this spot. Try killing these animals as a sacrifice and prophesy against them. I'll give you lots of money. And he does it again. He blesses them again and again. Well, later on, there's another problem where he gave in, that false prophet gave in to uh, the desire for money and 
it, the account of his destruction actually is in the book of Joshua. So God even intervenes in spiritual warfare, and so will it be with us in our spiritual battles, because in Christ, we are more than conquerors, the scripture tells us. Verse 11 and 12, And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or your bow. So the conquest of the nations in the land was the next example of God's faithfulness, of his grace to Israel, of all that he did for them. It was because the Lord fought for them, not because they were a superior force. They weren't. And many times they were outnumbered. And we don't know exactly what this means about hornets because we have no account of it except that God said he would use hornets to drive them out. We don't know if it's a metaphor or if God actually did that. If that's the case, it's just not recorded in the book of Joshua. Verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. So on top of all that faithfulness and grace just mentioned, they received homes, cities that were built, fields that were planted, vineyards and olive groves. God gave, kept his promise to Abraham in ways greater than Abraham could have imagined. And I think it's the same with all the promises of God. We look at them and we kind of in our mind imagine how God's going to fulfill the promises but when he fulfills them in your life, you go, wow, that was way more than I expected. Their entire history of the Israelite people is a record of God's overflowing covenant of grace, as is ours. The same will be true for us when we cross the Jordan. You know, the Jordan is often a picture of death, of passing over into the heavenly realm. And we enter our heavenly dwellings that the Lord God is preparing for us, right? I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And even now we walk in victory, not because we're so disciplined or because we're more superior to others, but because the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of our Savior's life, who's made us new creations through his death, burial, and resurrection. The promised land of faith is ours in him. When we have him, we have the promise. And we know that he who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it. And that should put a big smile on every one of your faces. Because sometimes the enemy tells us, you're never going to make it. Oh, you're stumbling. You're no good. You're not. The accuser of the brethren, he's called. But God promises he will finish this work he started in each of us. Would you consider writing your own account of how God, good God has been to you? Here God was telling Israel all the things, not all, some of the little highlights of the things he'd done for them. Just the highlights. I want to encourage you to do that. To take some time. You know, a lot of times we say something in church and you go away and you forget it. I really want to encourage you. Take out, set some time aside today before you forget 
and let the Lord speak to you and remind you and just write, write it down. I did it as I was reading this. I thought, man, I got to do this. Mine goes like this. This is God speaking to me. I put you in a home where you would hear my word constantly. I spoke to your heart when you were just five years old and called you to be mine countless times. I saved you from consequences of bad choices and directed your life in mercy and grace. I walked with you through the painful times and comforted your heart. I listened to your prayers and answered. I met with your Bible study group and let you know, all of you there know my holy and loving presence in a way that would change your life. That's just up until I was 16 years old. I went on and wrote the rest and I encourage you to do that. Remind yourself how grateful you should be for all the goodness God and has given to you for his abundant grace in your life. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord because he's done all this. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Because of all the goodness and guidance and blessings and grace we have received, we should now therefore fear the Lord. That is to be in reverential awe of him. Realizing how prone we are to error, we should fear getting out of his will and the discipline we would incur should we be ungrateful. And serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. That means with a whole heart in a consistent manner. They must have still kept their many idols. You know, they when they came out of Egypt, of Egypt, uh, the gods we're talking about are little things like rabbit's foot size of little images of silver or gold of a god. Whether it was a cow or a goat or whatever the gods of Egypt were, and they'd hung on to those things all this time through the forty years in the wilderness. And after all their experiences of God's divine intervention on their behalf, what in the world were they doing with those things? But before we become too harsh with them, we should search our own hearts. Are there gods we inherited that we keep around? Gods we depend on? Entertainment? Compromising behavior? Imaginations in our mind? Trust in wealth or job? home, car, beauty, anything can be put before God. So we were talking about this morning in, in the Bible study. Instead of thanking him for the good things, and because God's given us everything richly to enjoy, but he expects us to use them in moderation, keeping him first and thanking him for them. Instead, we can depend on them for our happiness and comfort and put God in the background. We can say we trust God when we really trust other things. The test comes when we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to let go of them. Then we see how much we look to them to find our pleasure. You know, you know if you've ever tried to fast, that food is a big one. We think about food a lot. What's for breakfast? What am I going to eat for lunch? How am I going to fix it? Where are we going to go to eat it? 
food's on our mind a lot. Well, there's nothing evil about food unless food becomes a priority over God, unless we're thinking about food more than we think about God. If you think something may have taken supremacy over God in your life, try setting it aside for a week. That's what some people do during the season of Lent. And then you're going to see your real relationship with it. If you're dependent on it, put it away until you can put it in its proper place. If Jesus is not Lord of all my life, then he's not really my Lord at all. I believe that came from Augustine. Verse 15, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Decision time. Choose. Choose between those false gods that are temporary and can never really bring ultimate satisfaction the gods who never tell you the consequences of following them or choose the eternal God, your creator, who loves you and gave himself for you. The false gods only provide momentary satisfaction and end up costing more than we can imagine. It's time to choose. They were settling in as a nation and if there were people who served another God, it was time for them to leave. Joshua gave no doubt where he and his family stood. What an inspirational challenge those words are. And I hope we can all say the same. In verses 16 to 18, the people promised to serve the God who had done all those great things for them. Verse 19 and 20, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve your gods, foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So here's Joshua's answer to them and to all of us, really. You can't do it. You aren't able. God's holy. He's jealous. He won't just look the other way when you sin. Holiness demands justice. Yes, he is love but he's also righteous and just. If you forsake him and go after false gods, after all he's done for you, after vowing not to do that, what do you think his justice should be? A little slap on the hand? No, just as he has blessed you, Joshua is saying in the same proportion, he will deal you the harm you deserve. He will consume you, the passage says. Don't think for a moment you can receive all his blessings and go whoring after some other God and get away with it. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, James said. Period. And you won't handle being God's enemy very well. 21. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua just told them they can't do it, and now they respond, yes, we can. And when you think you can do it, you already blew it. Sounds like Peter, right? Oh, Jesus, I will never betray you. I can hear roosters crowing. 
They will be faithful while Joshua lived, but after he dies, they will do exactly what they promised never to do. What God's trying to teach us is that we can't do it in our own strength. We need the help of God moment by moment. We need our minds renewed by his word. We need the fellowship that reminds us to stay on track and challenges us when we fail. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to turn us to Jesus at every moment in every situation we face. In verses 22 to 28, the people vow to follow and serve the Lord. Serve, by the way, is the same word as worship and that to obey his voice. And then Joshua told them to get rid of those little gods their fathers took out of Egypt. Joshua is telling them what Moses told them and repeating what he told them in verse 14. He asked, do you mean what you're saying? Then once and for all time, throw away those little idols and incline your heart to the Lord. That phrase is one of the most meaningful phrases in this chapter. Incline your heart to the Lord. This message is just as real today as it ever was. We go to church, we give our tithes, we call ourselves good Christians, but the secret little idols that we spend our time on on the weekdays are never put away. What keeps us from keeping Jesus first in our private times? What are you convicted about? If it's a real issue, I don't have to point it out. The Holy Spirit surely already has. Get rid of it once and for all. Amen? The renewed, they renewed the covenant again, and Moses set up this large stone as a reminder of the covenant that they just made. I think this is actually the fourth time in the book of Joshua that they renewed the covenant. Verse 29 and 30, and after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance in Timnasarah, which is the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of God. I witnessed many saints in our fellowship who have gone on to glory. Our elders, Ed Reyes, Connie Logan, before them, a couple that were referred to as Mr. and Mrs. Wayside. Only a few of you know them, the Crawfords, Ida Pierce, Betty Waters. Just to name a few who played such a major role in the outreach of this church. There are at least 20 more I could name. I preached their memorial services about how their lives honored God. We are but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But what remains are the lives that you've touched with the love of Jesus. The lives that have been drawn to Christ through your testimony. We should each consider this before we leave this earth. How has our life or the life of Jesus in us affected those that we know and love? A hero of the faith, Joshua, went to his heavenly reward. His testimony was that he did all that Moses commanded him. It reminds me of the death of Bill Bright and Billy Graham. They're no longer present, 
but they and those whom I mentioned previously are more alive than they ever were here. Their old bodies will be replaced with heavenly ones. In that, in that great cloud of witnesses, they are cheering us on. We have their example and writings to encourage us as we run our race. And now it's our turn to look into the face of God and live. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Every generation needs a personal encounter with God. God has no grandchildren. Verse 32, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the place of the land that Jacob brought from the, bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Before Joseph died in Egypt, he had the faith that centuries later the promise would be fulfilled. And so he had the people of Israel promise to take his bones with them when they left, left Egypt and bury them in this place that he purchased uh, the, so, so far in the, in the past. And do you know what? I don't know if we have, do we have the picture? There is in Goshen, in Egypt, in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, archaeologists have discovered this small palace and a little pyramid and the bones were, this pyramid was not like other places that were raided and torn apart, you know, as the people tried to find treasures. This pyramid was carefully taken apart and the bones removed. And inside were the pieces of crumbled statue of a Hebrew who had a coat of many colors. Isn't it wonderful how God leaves these little bits of evidence to remind us that the word of God is entirely true. Amen. Verse 33, And Eliezer the son of Aaron died, and they buried him in Gebeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had given him in the hill country of Ephraim. So Eliezer the son of Aaron also died and was buried. Eliezer had been the priest for such a long time. His son would be the high priest and carry on the priest's prescribed priestly duties. But after all the elders passed, the nation entered into an era we call the period of the judges. And sadly, the following generation didn't stay faithful. For 400 years, the nation had these ups and downs, depending on their faithfulness to God or their lack thereof. When they turned to idolatry, God disciplined them through foreign invaders, just as Joshua said, and Moses. He would raise up godly judges and bring them back and restore them time after time. Joshua's warning came to pass. The defining statement for those 400 years was every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, they set aside the laws of God and made up their own rules. Sound familiar? As our nation starts to call the laws of God antiquated and makes up a new, whole new standard of morality, should we expect anything different? 
And though we have the Spirit of God indwelling us today, their story seems to be our story as well. Joshua was successful because he believed God's promise in the very first chapter. We've kind of come whole circle to see that that verse, eight, in chapter one, verse eight, is really a, a, a prophetic word about the success of Joshua. This book of the law, it reads, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua was a success, a success because he meditated on the word of God day and night. We saw all throughout the book of Joshua that where the author says, and he did according to the words of Moses. And just as Moses told him, he so-and-so, he studied God's word, he lived God's word, he meditated on God's word, and so he was a success. You want to be a success for the kingdom of God? Meditate on the word of God. Be careful to do according to all that's written in it. The promise is for all who are willing to believe the word and act on it. It's for those who would declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you declare that with me right now? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are unable to do it. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the book of Joshua. Thank you for this journey we've had with the children of Israel seeing the hardships, seeing the struggles, but seeing your faithfulness through it all, seeing them endure, and in the end, finally receiving the promise. And Lord, we know that will be true for us to help us to persevere. Help us, Lord, by your grace to stay faithful. Help us to keep looking to you, looking up in your glorious face, and knowing what you're calling us to do and then doing.